Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Before we uh, jump into Proposition 8 and uh, the debate, which is before the Supreme Court, uh, will soon be before the Supreme Court, we're going to have that on uh, uh, gay marriage, traditional marriage, and Proposition 8 on the program today. Uh, I want to finish up from yesterday. We had this email that uh, came in on bullying. You recall our subject was... uh, uh, book, Sticks and Stones by Emily Bazelon on bullying, the problem, which has uh, led some uh, youth to commit suicide very publicly in, in one case, recent case in Utah. Uh, here's what Paul Williams wrote on the subject. I was heavily bullied as a kid in junior high. As an unusually small and quiet kid, I was an easy target. My mom always took a passive approach and told me to just keep my head down. I did that for years, and the bullying got worse. My dad told me to hold my head high and confront. I did, and I earned some great respect amongst the bullies. I was still small and quiet, but they respected and even liked me. I learned to use the bosses of the school for protection for other bullies. Uh, From other bullies, I imagine he went to say, maybe we focus too much attention on changing the bullies, not enough on teaching the bullied how to deal with being bullied. If we teach them they are victims, they will grow up to be victims as adults. I use what I learned every day in my adult life. That's Paul Williams. Appreciate those comments. And you can continue the discussion online at upr.org. Just click on Programs and then Access Utah. Continue this discussion on bullying. The U.S. Supreme Court is set to hear arguments later this month on a challenge to California's Proposition 8, which was narrowly approved by voters, as you know, in 2008. Uh, The amendment to the state's constitution states that only marriage between a man and a woman is valid or recognized in California. The Utah Pride Center and 26 other groups recently filed a brief with the Supreme Court urging the justices to declare that gay and lesbian couples have the right to marry. Last month, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, along with other churches and groups, filed a brief supporting traditional marriage. We'll talk about the merits of Proposition 8 and gay marriage, traditional marriage, on today's program. Coming up in the second half, we'll be joined by Bill Duncan, Director of Sutherland Institute's Center for Family and Society, and Valerie Larrabee, Executive Director of the Utah Pride Center. Right now, we uh, bring in Lynn Wardle, who's the Bruce C. Hafen Professor of Law at Brigham Young University. Professor Wardle, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. And we are joined by the lawyers who wrote the brief for the Utah Pride Center, uh, Brett Tolman. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Nice to be with you. People will remember your name, a former U.S. attorney for, for Utah. And uh, Paul Burke, uh, yes. thank you for joining yes, us. Yes, thank you. Let me start with uh, Mr. Tolman or Mr. Burke, uh, whichever one wants to, to handle this. Uh, what In your brief, what are you asking uh, the court to, to do? Well, it, it's very simple. We're We're highlighting for the court that there is, a group of individuals that are politically powerless that are are discriminated against at local and state levels to such a degree that the court needs to step in and extend heightened scrutiny, meaning um, the highest possible legal standard in interpreting the laws that affect them in an effort to protect their interests. Um, we believe that the Supreme Court is poised to do so, and that by extending that protection, that they have an ability to reach the ultimate question, which is whether they have uh, the right and ability to marry the, the individual of their choosing. And we request that the court reach that ultimate question. Uh, so the court has a full range of rulings that they could make, from very, very narrow uh, to to a broad-sweeping uh, you know, uh, mandating of of, uh, of gay marriage uh, nationwide. They do. The, the court, as you know, can be wily sometimes and uh, can can surprise even even the advocates as they appear in front of them and write briefs to, to hopefully coax them into certain positions. Um, so they have an ability to to reach the issue as they see it and and to, to rule um, accordingly. We hope that our brief uh, highlights for them uh, what inaction on the ultimate question could ultimately result in. Professor Wardle, um, I, I'm guessing that you're familiar with the the briefs on the other side, including the one that joined by the uh, the LDS Church. What are specifically that brief or other briefs on that side? What are they asking the court to do? Uh, I wrote a brief uh, on the other side that okay. is in support of Prop 8, uh, 
uh, Stephen E. had, a former student of mine, and uh, I wrote a brief for the Coalition of African American Pastors and two other African American organizations uh, who asked the court to uphold Prop 8. Uh, this isn't about a public policy as much as is it about uh, who makes uh, the law, who, uh, are, who defines or who articulates what constitutional law is. In California, uh, they had a statute passed by the legislature that allowed only men and women to marry, that did not allow same-sex couples to marry. The California Supreme Court interpreted the California Constitution and said, the people of California have put in their Constitution principles that prohibit uh, denial of same-sex marriage, that require legalizing same-sex marriage. And as you know, Four and a half months later, the people of California spoke powerfully and said, I mean, 5% uh, margin said, um, you're wrong. Uh, they amended the California Constitution to explicitly clarify that marriage is only the union of a man and a woman. Mm. Uh, that does not prohibit the creation of some other domestic relationship with some rights uh, 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 that are appropriate for the nature, the quality, and the condition of the relationship. But it does prohibit uh, the radical redefinition of the fundamental institution of society, which is marriage. The people spoke. The California Supreme Court, in a subsequent case, uh, people made arguments that they can't do this. This is, you, you can't, the people cannot adopt this kind of an amendment. And the Supreme Court of California said, yes, they can. We accept the fact that the people of uh, California are the sovereign, not the courts, but the people. They determine what the fundamental law of this state is in terms of our state constitution. And that same principle, of course, applies in the United States as a whole. It's the people that are sovereign, not a bevy of uh, platonic guardians that are wearing black robes and say, uh, we're wiser than the rest of you. It's for us to uh, create new constitutional rights. And that's what this case is about, uh, the creation of a new constitutional right of same-sex couples to marry, which would radically alter the existing institution of marriage the, and, and would dr drastically change society and affect all of society, all families, all marriages, not just same-sex marriages and children. Um, I think probably um, there are two points that need to be rec uh, emphasized. One is... In terms of constitutional text or history or precedence, this is uh, the claim that the Constitution mandates legalizing same-sex marriage is, is, uh, is simply without foundation. Mm. It's a very feeble attempt at judicial legislation. We've seen this before. We've had a problem with this for the last 40 years or 50 years, uh, uh, and, uh, and it's 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 serious when judges take it upon themselves to do what the people themselves have the sovereign right, and only the people have the sovereign right to do, which is to define basic and fundamental rights. Let me uh, uh, second. Oh, go ahead, and second, then I'll have a follow-up question. And the second concern is, it's about marriage. This isn't about gays and lesbians, or homosexuality, or sexual orientation. We all have friends or family, loved ones, people that we care about who have same-sex orientation. This is about marriage. The issue is entirely about protecting the basic civil rights and civil institution of marriage. It's a civil rights struggle to protect the fundamental right of marriage rather than to redefine and, uh, and, uh, and deconstruct that uh, institution. Let me uh, pose uh, the, the first point uh, to, to Mr. Burke in, in this case. Uh, what about Mr. Professor Wardle's uh, point uh, that uh, this is a judicial overreach, judicial activism? The people, after all, in California did speak and, uh, and, and authorized an amendment to their, their constitution. What, what this case is about is the United States Constitution, and there's nothing radical at all about the principle of equal treatment under the law. And what our brief and what our side seek from the United States Supreme Court is the equal protection 
uh, of the law for all Americans, including gay and lesbian Americans. Um, It's not an instance of asking the court to redefine marriage. It's to to state that all people are entitled to equal protection and equal access to marriage under the law. Once the state uh, starts providing the opportunity to enter into marriage, it should offer that opportunity to all people, including gay and lesbian Americans. So you don't see this as as an overreach by the court. Uh, wh- why not? Well, I, when you say overreach by the court, we don't know what the court is going to do yet. But uh, assuming that the court uh, does affirm that gay and lesbian Americans are entitled to the equal protection of the law and are entitled to the fundamental right to marry, uh, that's not an overreach. That's an affirmation of our constitutional values. Mm-hmm. And let, let me let me add. I, I appreciate Professor Wardle's position on this, but in in large respect, it is. And, and I'm I'm glad that he raised the fact that this is a civil rights uh, um, moment, and I think it is a crossroads, a civil rights crossroads. But more importantly, it's an equal protection crossroads. And you know, science, both biological and social is showing that all the prior decades of understanding about gay and lesbian issues was shaped more from fear and ignorance than from the reality. It is an immutable human characteristic that the LGBT community is a politically powerless minority and without constitutional protection. And, and, and being gay is, is, is now being accepted and and known and understood in those scientific communities as an immutable human characteristic. As such, they are a a cross-section of individuals that seek and are entitled to the protection of the Constitution. They are politically powerless and a minority that, as we highlight in our brief, in, in 23 what are traditionally known as red states or states that have been predominantly politically conservative are suffering discrimination in multiple ways and aspects. So while I appreciate and and pay great deference to the principle of precedence and that the court follow those precedents, if if the Supreme Court did not step in 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 prior cases, we would still maintain racial discrimination. We would maintain uh, the, the lack of protection for political minorities that deserve protection. And so when the Supreme Court appropriately decided that it would look at this issue, I think it understands as well that there, there is a cross-section or a community of, of individuals that are entitled the protection of the Constitution. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We'll give uh, Professor Wardle a chance to respond to some of those uh, arguments. We're talking about uh, Proposition 8, which is the uh, proposition which amended the uh, California Constitution to define uh, marriage as uh, being between a man and a woman. Uh, that's uh, appearing before the Supreme Court has agreed to take that case. We don't know how narrowly or how widely they will rule, but uh, they have taken the case, and the arguments uh, will be coming uh, before the Supreme Court later this month. And uh, we're talking about that on this part of the program with uh, lawyers Brett Tolman and Paul Burke. They wrote the uh, Utah Pride Center's brief. And Lynn Wardle, Bruce C. Haven Professor of Law at Brigham Young University, he wrote uh, one of the uh, briefs in uh, favor of uh, Proposition 8. Later in the program, we're going to be uh, talking uh, with uh, the Sutherland Institute's uh, Center for the Family and Society Director of that uh, center, uh, Bill Duncan, and with Valerie Larrabee, Executive Director of the Utah Pride Center. You're welcome to join this conversation. We'd uh, love it if you uh, would at uh, with your comment or question. 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. We'd love to have your views on this subject. 1-800-826-1495. Or you can email us at upraxis at gmail.com. Upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, Professor Wardle, I, I know you want to respond to some of the things that Mr. Burke and Mr. Tolman were saying. I'd like to start with, with this one. 
Um, you've called this potentially, if the Supreme Court rules this way, a radical redefinition of marriage and even of society. I wonder if you could expand on that. What uh, and, and some people on the other side say, what's the harm if, if we allow uh, you know, uh, gays to, to marry? Uh, how does that affect my traditional marriage? Well, that's the most common question I have answer, uh, asked me, and I appear to give presentations on this subject. Uh, there just aren't very many conservative law professors, so when the uh, law school, uh, when a law school wants to have a debate about same-sex marriage, there aren't many of people on my side that they can choose from. So I've debated this at quite a number of law schools, and that's a very common question. How is this going to hurt me? And uh, I think that's simply the wrong question. It's, it may not hurt me. My wife and I have been married for over 35 years. Uh, I don't think that it's going to uh, cause us to get a divorce. But it will change the way that marriage is viewed. Instead of marriage being a gender-integrating institution, instead of marriage sending the message that the contribution of a woman and a man to marriage is equally important, that two men aren't enough, or two women isn't sufficient, that for the purposes of marriage you need to have this integration of men and women. That is going to powerfully change when we redefine marriage as the union of any two people. Uh, the, the, the changes can be quite far-reaching. Uh, I remember debating someone on this in, um, here in Utah, where, uh, in fact, it was up in Salt Lake at the library and had quite a turnout, and the other side there were representatives uh, from the polygamy community that were there in support of legalizing same-sex marriage uh, because they thought and believed if it is unconstitutional to prohibit same-sex couples from marrying, uh, to marry two persons of the same gender, it also is going to be equally unconstitutional to prohibit three persons or four persons from marrying. Um, you know, the logic of that is pretty obvious. I disagree with it, but but I can see the, 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 the merit of the position. The implications of this are, are, are profound uh, for our entire society. It comes down to the simple question, are men and women different? Uh, they are. They are different in a universe of different of ways. And the union of a man and a woman creates a different kind of a union than the union of two men or of two women, because integrating uh, the genders, integrating a man and a woman into this basic social unit is very different than putting two women or two men together into a, a partnership of some sort, whether, whatever domestic label you give it. I'd like to respond to uh, two p comments that were made. Uh, yeah, yes, go was, go ahead, and then we have a caller, so go ahead. One was, uh, they, uh, I think there are simply two factual assertions that are, yeah. that are very, very feeble. Um, one is that uh, homosexuality is an immutable characteristic. Uh, all of the evidence seems to indicate otherwise. You've got a lot of people that come out as homosexual after living as heterosexual for many years. Vice versa, you've got many people who have lived a homosexual lifestyle and change and say, now I've lost those uh, feelings or attractions, and now I'm heterosexual. Sexuality and changing of sexual orientation does not appear to be immutable. And I would add that many of my friends who are advocates of same-sex marriage, many of the most respected law professors who are uh, advocating for same-sex marriage simply reject that. Uh, they think it's demeaning. Look, this is a choice that we have made. Don't try to demean it and say that, well, you can't help yourself. Uh, there must be some gay gene that makes you flawed. No, we have made this choice. Uh, so the, the immutability claim is not one that all gays and lesbians themselves support. Uh, in fact, many of them repudiate it and consider it insulting. On the other hand, the claim that gays and lesbians are politically powerless. Sounds like, uh, Professor, it sounds like you're breaking up. We'll, 
We'll uh, let's get our caller, and then we'll uh, we'll try to reestablish the line with Professor Wardle. Uh, so uh, next up is Jim in Cache Valley. Jim, uh, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Uh, Jim, are you there? There. Oh, there we go. We just have have to get the right lineup. Uh, Jim, welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you. Can you hear me now? Uh, I can hear you now. Yes. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. I was just uh, about to comment. Do they think that uh, a mother and daughter are entitled to the same protection, uh, uh, civil rights protection under the Constitution, or, uh, for example, uh, a uh, mother and son, or or uh, any combination of, of siblings, mm-hmm. or perhaps uh, just would like to know their feelings on uh, this case that uh, turned out the a child between two uh, lesbian couples that was from a donor, and now the donor is being declared the father. If they have, if they do redefine that, that they're entitled to the same uh, protections under the Constitution, then I think they wish also should be responsible for the same um, um, responsibilities under the Constitution. Our laws are written currently to show that there's a father and a mother for every child. Well, I think in a lesbian couple or a gay couple that chooses children, then one of them has to be declared the mother or the father, and the other, of course, the opposite. I'd like to get the comments on that if I could. Okay, thanks for the call, Jim. We'll do it direct. It sounds like this is being directed to Mr. Tolman, Mr. Burke. Uh, what about this? If, if we go away from a traditional definition of marriage, where, where is the line and how, how far does it go? Uh, well, it's, it's a little yes. hard to, to respond to a, a question that asks whether incest it should be protected uh, or something similar. That's not what's being spoken about here. Um, the, the reality is that the arguments that are being often um, advocated by those that are critical of a same-sex marriage, uh, in essence, often boil down to, look, we're okay if they have, if you, if, if you allow for them to have a partnership. We're okay if you allow for them to have benefits. We're okay if you allow for them to do, you know, A, B, and C in terms of protecting their rights. Just don't call it marriage. So then you're really coming down to the semantics. And, and as Professor Wardle and others will argue, uh, that calling it marriage seems to disintegrate what is the traditional notion and thought of, of marriage. It, it was telling that in Professor Wardle's description of what's needed for marriage that he never used the word love. Love and commitment between two people, those are the key qualities and those are the key requirements for marriage in our society. No. I, I think it's also very important to note that Professor Wardle was misrepresenting the social science about the immutable nature of homosexuality. I'd invite all the listeners to uh, check out the American Psychological Association's website. Um, there's a statement that, 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 that makes quite clear that sexual orientation is a normal variation of human sexuality and that it's an immutable characteristic. Uh, and uh, so, like this, this, yeah, yeah, this, we'll, we'll give you a chance to respond. Let, let me finish facts first. And not on junk science. Mm. Uh, um, Professor Wardle, go ahead. Well, uh, the, the report to which he refers has been uh, decisively debunked. If you, uh, just last summer, Lauren Marks, professor at Louisiana State University in social science research, just devastated the 59 studies that were the basis for that APA report saying, look, you've got no, uh, half of them don't have comparison groups. The, the average size, none of them exceed 100 uh, uh, people in the sample size, some of them as small as five. Um, the comparison groups that they have are not selected for similar characteristics. Uh, I mean, he, it was a pretty dis, and it's not the the only one. So the 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 statement about junk science needs to be taken seriously. And there are a lot. There's a very lot of advocative social science that claims no difference. I'd like to. Uh, I'd like, Professor. I'd like to follow. Uh, I'd like to follow up but with. I'd like to, but I'd like to finish responding with two points. The first point okay, that go I ahead. was making was immutability. Simply, uh, many advocates of same-sex marriage reject that claim. Uh, they say this is a choice that we have made. 
don't demean us, don't insult us by saying uh, we have some defective gene that we were born this way. No, this is a choice we've made. And you can see a lot of people that have chosen, that are homosexual, later say, well, now I am heterosexual. A lot of people that are heterosexual have chosen, later, I am homosexual. There's a lot of uh, fluidity. The idea that it's immutability is a pretty thin, pretty thin claim. Second, the argument that they're politically powerless is, is awfully hard to, to make today when the President of the United States supports same-sex marriage, when the most powerful political party in this United States, the Democratic Party, supports same-sex marriage, when you have gay and lesbian legislators and judges and other powerful political uh, officials that are gay or lesbian in the United States and in many states across the country, um, when you've got you know, the last election in November, three states voted by small margins, but voted nonetheless by a majority to legalize same-sex marriage. There are now nine states out of 50 that have legalized same-sex marriage. Now, it, there, it's hardly a, a powerful movement. I mean, to have after 20 years or 40 years, nine states out of 50 uh, isn't a massive, sudden, wildfire kind of movement, but it's a very credible, clear progress. Uh, so to claim that, gee, we're politically powerless and, gee, we don't know how these three states legalize same-sex marriage because we're so politically powerless. In California, in 2008, when they voted on Prop 8, the gay and lesbian community and their supporters raised and spent over $40 million to defeat Prop 8, and they were unsuccessful. So the, the claim that gee, we're just little politically powerless people that are, uh, have this immutable characteristic. Both of those claims are, are, um, are very feeble. Let me, we just have a, a few minutes left with this panel, and I'd like to uh, conclude on one, one of the very central questions. I'll put this first to Mr. Toll, Mr. Burke, and then have uh, Professor Wardle respond to this. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit earlier in the half hour. But this, uh, uh, Mr. Burke or Mr. Tolman mentioned that uh, we haven't talked about about love. That gets me to my question: what What's the purpose of marriage? What's the central uh, purpose, um, uh, Mr. Burke, or Mr. Tolman? Do we have Mr. Burke or Mr. Tolman? I'm, I'm, go I'm ahead. Here. Yes, go ahead. Well, the central purpose of of marriage in our society is to bind uh, two individuals together in a, a commitment to between the, the two and to the public uh, to care for each other, to love for each other, love each other, and to uh, promote stability in our society. And, uh, and gays and lesbians should have this right. I'm, I'm, I know you, you posit that. Uh, what's the, I guess, on the other side, what's the harm in uh, civil union, which, which gives you many of those, those same things vis-a-vis -vis society? Well, the, the word marriage is uh, important in our society, uh, and by withholding the term marriage from people, uh, we're withholding a certain level of dignity and a certain level of acceptance and of recognition, and it's important in our society under our Constitution that all people be treated equally. Mm -hmm. So what we hope and expect the Supreme Court will do is make clear that when the State offers marriage that it needs to be open to all people in our society, including gay and lesbian Americans. And professor, and, and, professor, oh, go ahead. Let me just add, if I, if I might, yes, and then go let ahead. the professor respond. Um, the professor has indicated that there, you know, that there is division among uh, those that are in the gay and lesbian community in terms of whether it's a choice or whether it's immutable. The bottom line is. There are divisions on all sides. There's not the political power of, the, of this cross-section of our population to be able to control legislation, to be able to control what the executive branch does, despite the president's recent uh, um, announcements. There are still states like Utah in which um, discriminatory and, 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 and individuals such as myself that are uh, married and conservative and have been in the public eye politically 
recognize and see that these laws are discriminating against individuals. And unless the court steps in and makes a decision consistent with what it did in Loving, then it will continue despite the inches or the centimeters or inches of, of political power in which uh, this, this, this cross-section of our population is, is growing. And until that time, until the Supreme Court makes that decision, then it will be tossed to and fro by various legislatures across this country, inconsistent decisions, all while, while a few states allow its citizens marriage and other states do not. And that's exactly why you have the Supreme Court. And before we give uh, Professor Wardle a, a chance for some final comments, we did have a comment come in via email that's uh, addressed to uh, Mr. Tolman, Mr. Burke. Uh, this is what Brian in Cache County says. Uh, I noticed how your guest skirted the caller's question. Yes, a parent-child sexual relationship is thankfully still seen as repulsive in our society. For thousands of years, marriage has been between one man and one woman, and homosexual relationships were not considered as, as acceptable to society. But look at what's happened in the last 50 years. So where do you draw the line? Just because society changes its opinion doesn't make that opinion or action right. It's a Brian in Cash County. I wonder if Mr. Tolman or Mr. Burke uh, would like to respond to that. Well, there were many similar arguments made about interracial marriage, about segregation, and our civilization, our, our, our laws have been designed to protect the abilities of individuals to have equal protection under the law, to be able to, um, to this is not a, this is not a statement of your personal beliefs. It's not an indication or a validation of somebody that disagrees with you. And it's not an endorsement of a religion or an endorsement of a, of a lifestyle. It's saying simply that it, it, is, it is central to our system of law and justice in this country that equal protection under the law is extended to all people. And let's give Professor Wardle uh, some final comments, then we'll bring on the next uh, next panel. Professor Wardle. Well, uh, I agree that um, denying marriage on, the ba on some basis, for instance, to allow Catholics uh, to marry but not Protestants, uh, uh, to allow one race to marry but not another, or forbidding interracial marriages, there are some constitutional limits. Uh, but homosexual attraction or same-sex attraction or sexual orientation has never been deemed to be one of those in the past. The court is going to have to create a new constitutional right here, and it simply is inappropriate for the court to create such constitutional rights. Um, the way the process is developing now in most states, by having debates in the legislature, bills introduced, discussed uh, publicly in public offices, uh, uh, proposals put forward, uh, for amendments to constitutions where they can be debated and decided by the people is the proper process, and it's moving forward. Um, marriage is the union of a man and a woman for a very particular purpose. They must love each other, but they must also respect each other, and they must respect the differences that allow each to contribute something different to the relationship. Uh, men are different from women. Women are different from men in ways that are complementary for the purpose of forming this basic unit of society. We're not denying that there are other relationships that are valuable, but they're just not marriages. If they deserve some uh, civil union protection or domestic relationship protection, let that protection be carefully defined and then extended to the, if, there's, if there's a support for that, if, if people believe that that is indeed appropriate. But to have the Supreme Court cram this down uh, is entirely uh, inappropriate. Um, so uh, I think that uh, this is a, an important public policy discussion we're having in the country. And to have the Supreme Court say, okay, we've had enough discussion, now we're going to dictate what the solution will be we want to force all the states to legalize same-sex marriage. Uh, we will do that. It's entirely inappropriate. It's not only substantively on the merits of very bad policy decision, but in terms of the procedure by which that policy is created, it is uh, 
unconstitutional and inappropriate judicial activism. And we'll leave it to there for this panel. Uh, Brett Tolman and Paul Burke, who wrote the Utah Pride Center's brief, uh, that uh, is before the Supreme Court. They'll be having arguments on this uh, Proposition 8 case uh, later in the month. Uh, Brett Tolman, Paul Burke, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we have uh, been speaking also with Lynn Wardle, Bruce C. Haven Professor of Law at Brigham Young University. Thank you so much, Professor Wardle. Thank you. Coming up, we'll continue this discussion with Bill Duncan, director of the Sutherland Institute's Center for Family and Society, and Valerie Larrabee, executive director of the Utah Pride Center. We'll welcome in your questions and comments as well at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or via email at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. More following this break. Support for Access Utah comes from the Utah Humanities Council, enriching cultural, intellectual, and civic life by providing opportunities for all Utahns to explore life's most engaging questions and the wonders of the human experience. Fiction or nonfiction? That's the question underlying seven years of arguments, negotiations, and revisions between the writer John Degata and his fact checker Jim Fingal. I'm Jim Fleming. Next time, on To the Best of Our Knowledge, we explore the slippery slope between fiction and nonfiction. It's To the Best of Our Knowledge from PRI, Public Radio International. Sunday mornings at 9 on Utah Public Radio. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we bring you funky techno and tribal beats, cool combinations of electronic effects with traditional melodies heard in the clubs and lounges of Europe, Africa, Asia, and Australia. One day, one woman asked him, what do you to survive? I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join me for Global Groove, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The U.S. Supreme Court, as you know, is set to hear arguments later this month on a challenge to California's Prop 8. That was narrowly approved by the voters in 2008. It amended the state's constitution to state that only marriage between a man and a woman is valid and recognized in the state, in the state of California. The Utah Pride Center and 26 other groups recently filed a brief with the court urging the justices to declare that gay and lesbian couples have the right to marry. And last month, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, along with other churches and groups, filed a brief supporting traditional marriage. In the previous segment, we talked with lawyers Brett Tolman and Paul Burke, who wrote the Pride Center's brief, and Lynn Wardle, who's a professor of law at BYU. He wrote a brief on the other side. Now we welcome in Valerie Larrabee, executive director of the Utah Pride Center. Well, thank you for joining us. I'm pleased to be with you. And Bill Duncan, director of Sutherland Institute's Center for Family and Society, joins us as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let me start with uh, Valerie Larrabee. Um, the uh, brief, as I understand it, from uh, Mr. Tolman and Mr. Burke is asking the court to, to rule broadly, uh, in the most broad fashion, and establish uh, nationwide right for uh, gays and lesbians to, to marry. Is that correct? It is indeed. And um, so let me put the question this way. Uh, some people, obviously, on the other side, will hear this articulated, I'm sure, by Mr. Duncan, uh, say that there would be harms in, uh, in a radical redefinition of marriage. This would have rippling effects uh, throughout society. Um, why are not civil unions, which uh, accord uh, gays and lesbians many of the same rights, why is that not enough? Um, I, I, that's a great question and one that's often asked. And I, I think that uh, the question is um, often confused by people who um, actually respond to it. And I, I, I think that for uh, our viewpoint that we compare um, marriage, well, we describe marriage uh, as um, something that the government uh provides as a label to people who enter into a long-term relationship and essentially have a contract um, with the government. The way that religions are defining marriage is much broader and is often defined by the religion. The ceremony itself uh, of a marriage inside of a religious institution uh, is something that pertains only to the religions. If they if 
those are uh, the practices of that religion, then that's the choice of that religion and the choice of the people practicing that religion. So if the government is going to use the term marriage, then we believe that that is uh, a right that all of us in the LGBT community have, um, as we are taxpaying citizens, just like our heterosexual counterparts are. Mm. Let me turn to um, Mr. Duncan, Bill Duncan with the Sutherland Institute. Um, Let me phrase the question this way. Uh, If the Supreme Court rules very broadly and in favor of gay marriage, um, then still couldn't churches, for example, traditional uh, units of society, couldn't they still prohibit this and then just let gays and lesbians marry the definition? And if you believe differently, then you don't allow that in your church. Sure. I think that's largely right. Of course, uh, that, that somewhat narrow understanding of religious liberty, though, because you know, while, while it's clearly true that you couldn't force under the First Amendment, at this point at least, uh, churches to perform ceremonies they don't uh, uh, want to according to their religious doctrines, you still have a, a series of other concerns like uh, the, the ability of people who are motivated by their religious beliefs in, their, uh, in the public service they offer, for instance, to um, act on those beliefs in, in the public sphere. So, you know, for instance, uh, uh, if you have a Catholic charities or someone who uh, provides uh, uh, social services and uh, wants to act in all ways in accordance with their religious beliefs, uh, when we change the definition of marriage, we automatically create a conflict for them because then they, they won't be able to, to extend benefits to uh, the spouses of their employees without also uh, extending benefits to same-sex couples, which, of course, is not something that's possible given their beliefs. So, and I think that this is really a crucial question about uh, the, the potential... Uh, consequences of, of redefining marriage. I think both sides would agree that there will be serious consequences. There may be some d- disagreement about uh, what the nature of those consequences will be, but it's, it's. Uh, I think that would be an important conversation to have. What, what are we likely to see happen as a result of, of that change? Now, I'm, I'm sure you're aware that uh, there was a letter. Many religious leaders, open letter uh, from religious leaders of the United States on marriage and religious freedom. And uh, what they're worrying about uh, is that this ripple effect will damage religious freedom for those traditional religions, specifically with regard to marriage. Right. I, I think that's a, that, is a, that is a real concern. We have seen a number of, of conflicts uh, uh, happen to this point with the uh, even even without same-sex marriage with something like civil unions or something like that. So we're, we're already seeing some of that develop, and I think, again, it points to the, the general point that when we change the definition of marriage, we are not just, you know, it's not like, the, you know, marriage really isn't just a label that the government puts on a relationship to kind of give it a, a stamp of approval, but it's a social institution that shapes the way we look at the world and, and has effects on other laws. And so I think it's it's key for us to continue to, to talk about that and not forget that part of it. Mm. Uh, Valerie Larrabee, you, I'm sure you see this, because I, I hear this uh, from the gay lesbian community, I uh, see this as a civil rights matter. Do you, do you see this in the mold of the civil rights movement of the 60s? Is, is that the way you see this, frame this? I, I do indeed. I, I think that, um, you know, when we, um, when we harken back to all the uh, conversations that have been had over the uh, centuries uh, using uh, the Bible, for example, as a resource, uh, you could find uh, ammunition in those documents for uh, making just about everything bad. And so when we uh, fast forward to the civil rights era, if we had not had federal uh, intervention, then it would have been okay for religions to discriminate against African-American people. And fast forward to today, we can't even think about that uh, as something that we would have had in this country. And I believe um, that when we fast forward 20 years, that we'll look back on this conversation as well and wonder how we could have had this uh, as a conversation. Let me uh, uh, put to you a, a thread of a discussion we were having in the first half of the program. Um, this was brought up, I think, by one of my guests and then taken up by one of our emailers. Let me just read you part of that email. 
Uh, and this gets to concerns some people have if you go away from a traditional definition of marriage as codified in law, then where's the new line? And, and there, there are fears and concerns about where that new line may end up being, albeit maybe years from now. This is what Brian in Cache County said. Um, Let's see, a parent-child sexual relationship is thankfully still seen as repulsive in society. That was a, an example of where, where the, the line may, may end up you know, at some point. For thousands of years, marriage has been between one man and one woman. Homosexual relationships were not considered as acceptable society, but look at what has happened the last 50 years. So where do you draw the line? And then he goes on to say, uh, why not give father-son sexual relationships so-called equal protection? Again, where do you draw the line? So I, I don't know if it... You know, you hear those concerns. I wonder how you address that. One other example that people uh, give is is uh, a logical extension of this is is polygamy. Uh, to you, are you posing that? Yeah, yes, to me, to you. Yes, first of all. I, well, I think that um, uh, the caller's concerns are something that we uh, hear a lot uh, from people who are not supportive of same-sex marriage, and. Um, I think that you have to look at the institution of marriage right now and see how it's being abused by the people who have the right uh, to uh, enter into that relationship. Um, and uh, I think that many of us out here would would agree that, you know, just because I meet someone tomorrow, um, if, if it were a man and I'm a woman, we could go get married and we don't even, there's no proof that we, uh, I mean, we can just enter into that relationship. And so it seems to me that marriage, uh, needs some work anyway. Um, and, um, in terms of, uh, I guess the slippery slope conversation, I think that, um, Gay and transgender people um, have family values, and I think that those uh, family values and their families deserve the same rights that heterosexual uh, Americans um, have as people who can enter into contractual relationships. Uh, Bill Duncan, let me ask you this question. Uh, this case is different from some other cases in this key respect, at least as seen by the, the gay and lesbian community. That is, uh, even briefly, albeit briefly, uh, gays and lesbians in California did have a right to marry for a few months there. You're, it, this case, if the court, court rules that way, would be taking away a right that they, they did have. I wonder if you respond to that. Sure. That, that's the way that the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has tried to frame the issue in order to, to uh, give the, the Supreme Court the opportunity to rule against Proposition 8 with, without, uh, they think, uh, creating a backlash. I think that argument doesn't really make much sense. Either the Constitution requires that marriage be redefined by the states, or it, or it doesn't. It doesn't particularly, there's nothing in the Constitution that says you, you, uh, that, that uh, the people of a state can't change their Constitution. Uh, which is what happened with Proposition 8. So I, I, think, that, I think that's unlikely to be uh, a, a very um, serious uh, a leg for, for the court to issue its, or, 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 to, or to take a stand. I, I think I'm mixing metaphors. But it, there, you know, that's not likely to be the thing the court would want to uh, spend a lot of time on because the, 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 really the core question is, uh, did, 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 does the U.S. Constitution require each state to have same-sex marriage? Um, and uh, you know, I, obviously, if you if you uh, look at the Constitution, and you think, well, gosh, is that what was intended in 1868 when the Fourteenth Amendment was ratified? You, I think you'd say no, uh, but you might, uh, if you take a different view on the Constitution, say, well, no, that's up to the courts to make make the law. Then you might say yes. And and uh, the timing of of of, of various uh, uh, legislative uh, uh, popular actions doesn't doesn't seem to. Uh, there's nothing in the Constitution that suggests that that's an important factor in whether or not something's constitutional. We just have uh, oh, uh, two or three minutes left, and I want to end with this question as I did with a previous panel, because the definition of marriage and what the purpose of marriage is really is a key question here and, and colors how you, how you think about uh, marriage and how the court should rule. So first to Mr. Duncan, what, what's marriage for? Well, I think we have to distinguish between private and, and public purposes of marriage. Uh, you know, for, for individuals, they may have lots of reasons for wanting to marry, but uh, those those reasons don't necessarily uh, aren't necessarily coextensive with the rights or with the reason that the government's interested in that. All through time, across across cultures, across time, 
uh, all societies have had some way of recognizing and singling out the relationship between men and women as being uh, unique and important. And, uh, and, and we have created marriage. It's not something created by the government. It came before the government. And we do that, uh, I think we can look at history and get some good idea of why that happens. I think it has to do with the reality that men and women uh, and their relationship is different from other kinds of relationships. One, one very obvious way in which it's different is that that's the only kind of relationship in which a child could be produced without the, the uh, uh, involvement of a third party. So I, I think that uh, if, we, if we think in those terms, it becomes somewhat simple for us to see uh, why, why um, although every person should be treated equally by the law, there is a fundamental uh, difference between that relationship and, and government's interest in it, and then other kinds of relationships which government can treat in different ways. And uh, we just have a couple of minutes. We'll, we'll give uh, Valerie Larrabee the, the last word. Uh, I'd like you to frame your, your answer uh, uh, under the same question. What, what's marriage for? Um, I think that uh, from our point of view, uh, marriage is uh, a, rela- a, a solidified agreement between two people to enter into a loving and committed relationship, to take care of each other and to take care of their families, and uh, to present themselves to society as, um, as a couple and as a family. And uh, again, you're asking the court to rule very broadly. Would, would your center be, I guess, okay with a more narrow definition, which allows each state to... Uh, to determine for themselves? I think that um, if, if that were the case, uh, I think that I'm sitting in a chair in a state that would uh, perhaps never allow that. And I think that uh, to have 49 other states perhaps ratify um, marriage as uh, something that would be allowed uh, and to uh, have that not allowed in the state of Utah uh, would uh, certainly send the message of discrimination uh, across the world. And so it's for that reason that our organization felt so strongly about um, speaking to the court about the particular situation that we face here and highlighting the situations that are also occurring in other more conservative states. We will leave it there. Valerie Larrabee is Executive Director of Utah Pride Center. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bill Duncan is Director of the Sutherland Institute Center for Family and Society. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And we uh, thank our listeners for listening to this important discussion. The uh, arguments before the Supreme Court will be coming up later this month, and uh, we believe there will be a ruling. We don't know what the ruling is. Obviously, it will be coming in the summer, and that's Proposition 8 before the Supreme Court. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we're going to have a discussion on health care. Of course, health care reform nationally, how that affects Utah, what Utah should do. Of a good discussion uh, there involving some legislators and others. Healthcare, our topic tomorrow. Hope you'll join us then. For producers Danny Hayes and Addison Pace, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening.